0: I invite you to take your Bible and open to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, as exciting as the family meeting was last week, which it was, it was some good updates, we need to do that. We pick back up in the account in Revelation, coming now to chapter 13. An interesting study ahead for us tonight. As you make your way there, if you're taking notes tonight, you can entitle our study, Counterfeits of the Dragon. Counterfeits of the Dragon. And since it's been a few weeks, and this might be a new passage for you here tonight, I think it'd be helpful for us to first begin By reading and hearing the account in its entirety, then asking for the Lord's help, then jumping into our study tonight. Okay? Number of verses we're going to read through, but perhaps in Revelation, helpful for us to hear it all at once. We'll pray, then we'll jump into our study. Revelation 13. So really, the very first words maybe should be tacked on to the end of chapter 12. We'll begin partway through verse 1. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like those of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne in great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after The beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act. For forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance in the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And who was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that No one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man. His number is six hundred and sixty-six. Let's ask for God's help tonight. Lord, we come to you tonight asking that you would bless all the ministry that takes place tonight on our church campus. We pray for the children as they sit under your word being taught. We pray for our students as they hear your word opened up tonight. And for us adults gathered in this auditorium, we look to you asking that you would be our guide and teacher tonight. We've sung. We've made known our praises to you. From the depths of our heart, we cry out, hallelujah, praise Jehovah. But then we read this account in your word of that which will come in the future Horrible events, terrifying figures. We ask, Lord, for your help. Instruct us tonight. We ask this for our Savior's sake. Amen. Revelation 13, counterfeits of the dragon. There's a saying... A saying once communicated by Puritans long ago in the 1600s. A saying, though, that goes back even further all the way to the early church father, Augustine. Perhaps you've heard of this saying. Satan is God's ape. You ever hear that saying? Kind of odd to our ears. Satan is God's ape? What does that even mean? Perhaps an illustration can help get us to the point of this brief but unique saying. If any of you have ever read the famous books put together and written by C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia. You come to the last book in that series, The Last Battle, and when you begin to read this final book of the world in Narnia, you're introduced to the figure of a donkey and the figure of an ape. The donkey's name, Puzzle, the ape's name, Shift. The donkey puzzle, seemingly weak, uh, easily bossed around by this ape shift. And if you've read, and if you remember, right off the bat, as these two interact, they come across something quite peculiar that, of course, the ape forces the donkey to retrieve, and as they retrieve it and bring it up and they look at it, they discover this very unique Skin, a lion's skin. Do you remember that? Seeing this lion's skin, uh, the donkey quite confused, the ape quite sure in his mind what he's going to do with this lion's skin. Him thinking, surely this is a sign, a gift given by Aslan, the great lion. You remember in that series, Aslan, this figure representing in some way God, maybe even Lewis's attempt of portraying in this child's story, the Lord Jesus. The ape looks upon the lion's skin. He knows exactly what he wants to do with it. He then forces the donkey to wear this lion's skin. Why? All to manipulate, all to deceive, all to put before those living in Narnia, a counterfeit lion. Word begins to spread, people all around Narnia, them excited thinking, at last the lion Aslan has come. All the while... Uh Uniquely portraying it with trickery and with deception, and of course, never the donkey speaking dressed up in the lion's skin, but the ape speaking on behalf of the lion, deceiving all in Narnia that they then begin to worship this counterfeit lion it's not the real aslan it's a fake. All of it a sham, all of it a fake, all of it a counterfeit. We go back then to that saying Satan is God's ape. And what Augustine and the Puritans and many other Christians, perhaps Lewis, by means of that brief account, he's getting at that Satan is never original. Satan has no creative power in and of himself. His game plan is simple. It is to deceive by means of a counterfeit. All he can do is produce a cheap imitation, a poor copy that he, as he produces the imitation, he produces the counterfeit, he produces the copy cheaply, mockingly ape-ish. And that's what we see on display in Revelation chapter 13. We're introduced to these two figures with our main attention upon the first that's introduced in the chapter. And this is someone we've all been waiting to see at last displayed in the book of Revelation. If you're a student of the Bible, you know of this ultimate deceiver known as Satan. But how the Bible will portray that in the last days, Satan himself will raise up and will animate and lead, maybe in some way indwell, this figure who will be put forth as a counterfeit. A counterfeit of what? Christ himself. We know of him as the Antichrist. Again, amazing, Satan's ability to deceive and how this will be on display in the last days. Again, if you've been reading through the entirety of the Bible, uh, this is nothing new. You go back all the way to the Old Testament, all the way back especially to the book of Daniel, And littered and and scattered throughout Daniel is this figure that we're awaiting. Introduced in Daniel chapter 7, referred to as the little horn, who rises up amidst ten horns, all connected with uh, the fourth beast in that account. You piece some things together, maybe in some way uh, someone associated with the Roman Empire, perhaps in the future a revived Roman Empire that with all their nations and this band of, of peoples that come together rising up amidst them is this little horn that we read later in chapter 7 of Daniel, 7 verse 21, he will wage war against the saints. He's deceptive, many will be led astray, but he has his sight set on all who will worship the true Christ, the real God, and he will persecute them. A tyrannical figure, ultimately at this point ruling the entire world. More is said about him in Daniel chapter 8. More is said about him in Daniel chapter 9. Even more is said about him in Daniel chapter 11. In fact, maybe thoroughly in Daniel 11, verses 36 through 45. We don't have time tonight to dive back into those passages, but you bring them all together, and what do we learn of this figure? He is arrogant. He is boastful. Indeed, he is blasphemous. He will orchestrate a false religion in direct worship to himself. And of course, never acting alone, but overseen, energized, directed by Satan himself. You know of this figure, right? You jump over to the New Testament, Jesus himself will speak of him in Matthew 24. He will describe that this figure in these final days, he will commit this egregious act known forever as the abomination of desolation. Paul will even describe him further, giving a portrait in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there calling him the man of, of lawlessness, giving us a glimpse of his real character inside. Now, briefly, he was mentioned back in chapter 11, but now, at last, in chapter 13, the whole unveiling is given. And, of course, this only makes sense. In our study in Revelation, we were moving along at a good pace, chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 11, but then you get to chapter 12 and suddenly things appear different. Do you remember that? Earlier in Revelation, after Jesus gives to John the vision of what had taken place, uh, what will take place in the present, and the things that are to come, how the things that are to come all wrap around those unique judgments that will take place on the earth, The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and we're awaiting to see the bowl judgments. God unleashing his just wrath on this earth. Terrifying as we read through it. And expecting things to keep progressing chronologically, you look back to chapter 12, and suddenly it's as if there's a pause And if you're thinking of viewing this visually, it's as if a new scene, new perspective. Let's tell the account from another actor. Give the backstory, give the origin story. Chapter 12 begins shifting the attention to Satan himself, going all the way back to the beginning. Describing his uh, M O from the beginning, seeking to destroy and attack God, the woman Israel, and the child she'll bring forth, the long promised Messiah. Again, if that if that's weird, if that seems odd, how it suddenly breaks up in the account, it's not that different from things you and I might be familiar with. I know here among us, we have some fans of Tolkien going to another series. You think of the Lord of the Rings. You think how that was portrayed in visual film format. The story progresses in the Fellowship of the Ring. The story progresses in the Two Towers. But you begin the third film, The Return of the King. And it goes to this very unique figure known as Smeagol. To his beginning and origin... Tracing everything that began with him and ultimately his descent into evil. Same thing's going on here. Chapter 12 introduces that. The focus is really from Satan's perspective, the war that he is waging, culminating here in 13 with the two figures that we're going to be introduced to tonight. Again, thinking, he acts like an ape. He imitates. He produces counterfeits. Never original. We're introduced then to two of his chief counterfeits. Really simple how we walk through the account tonight. Verses 1 through 10, we're introduced to one counterfeit. Verses 11 through 18, we're introduced to a second counterfeit. There's your outline. There's the road map for tonight. Verses 1 through 10, we'll label it this. The counterfeit Christ. The counterfeit Christ. In these 10 verses, you get the portrayal of this figure. We've referred to him earlier, the Antichrist that Satan himself will bring forth. Some very interesting things are said about him. You begin in verse 1, and as I mentioned, part of it, I think, really should be seen back with the end of chapter 12. The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. But then chapter 13, really beginning, Then I saw, we're clued in, the account moves forward. What is it that John sees? A beast, and try to visualize this tonight. A beast coming up out of the sea. A monster coming up out of the sea. He has ten horns. He has seven heads. And on his horns, there are ten diadems, royal crowns. And on his heads were blasphemous names. Oh, this imagery here in Revelation, it is a bit tricky and challenging. John looks and he sees this monstrous beast coming up out of the sea. Again, the language here, so much of it built in, woven in. Language from the book of Daniel. Again, Daniel chapter 7. That comes to mind. The sea, uh, is it just a body of water? Some think, is it just referring to the, the Gentile world that this figure rises up out of that? Possible, but I think harder to see that. Some put forward, this is a clear reference to the abyss. Possible. I think perhaps maybe just more generally, the way that Hebrews and Jews thought of the sea. For them, the sea, again, they were a people of the land. They weren't seafaring people. Sure, on lakes, but not heading out to the sea. For them, they would associate with the sea chaos, danger, evil. Perhaps wrapped up in that Coming up out of that is this figure that already from his location we know of oh, it. This is the epitome of evil in a figure. Uh, ornately described, ten horns, seven heads. Interesting, similar to the way the dragon is described back in chapter 12 verse 3. Cluing us in, uh, they're closely related. The dragon, of course, being Satan. John sees the horns. The horns are likely signifying strength and power, perhaps signifying uh, this uh, league of nations and this chief leader in these nations. And beneath him, you have all these other leaders all associated together. Again, back in Daniel, it seems as if there are kingdoms in mind here. Perhaps there are kingdoms, but then even a leader associated with the kingdom. Seven heads likely pointing to the seven successive world empires. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Medo-Persians, Greece, Rome. and Now this figure's kingdom. On the uh, horns, you have these diadems, royal crowns, further signifying the power, the authority. And on the heads, blasphemous names, perhaps each one of these figures. And of course, the main figure here, taking for themselves, blasphemous titles, things reserved only for God and God alone. Again, unique to wade through then pressing into verse 2 again he, he sees this beast and rising up further he looks at the beast and he says uh, he's like a leopard but he's like a bear and he's like a lion you think that that seems sure odd where does that come from again do you remember the book of Daniel The vision that Daniel has as each one of these animals is brought forth, signifying the world powers, each one uniquely attributed with swiftness or ferocity or power. And this beast almost like bringing them all together, the culmination of each one of these empires. And of course, the end of verse 2 the dragon gives, notice, him, we are speaking of a person, him, power, throne, great authority, his power, his throne. In great authority. Oh, he's in close ties with the dragon. Already we're beginning to draw our conclusions. For Satan himself to bestow upon him his power, his domain, his throne. To vest him, to delegate to him authority. I mean, does that get our attention tonight? Evil itself in this figure. And again, him and his kingdom, the interplay, they go back and forth just like in Daniel. And it's not hard again for us to think, if I were to look at you tonight, in fact, I will look at you tonight and say, what comes to mind when I say the Third Reich? Who comes to mind? Hitler. Hitler. The two go together. Same way, this figure with all his domain and all the other leaders around him, but chiefly we think of the main figure, the main beast coming up out of the sea that the dragon gives unique power. And again, much more that we can fill in if you were to take time back in Daniel chapter 7. He has his eyes set on the saints. He wants to destroy them. He's even given this unique limit, a time limit, you could say a term, three and a half years, and he can have at them. We're looking ahead, John seeing what's going to take place again in the future. This hasn't happened yet, friend. This end-time government that will begin to initiate ruthless persecution. All backed with Satan's authority. Again, I mentioned how Satan is God's ape. All he can do is produce counterfeits, cheap counterfeits, as terrifying as they might be. Even with these animals described, these creatures Maybe makes us think back to Revelation chapter 4, how around the true throne there are four living creatures reflecting the grandeur of the one who sits on the throne. And a cheap imitation, himself with these creatures portraying and reflecting the character of the dragon and his chief servant. And John looks and he sees according to verse 3 that one of his heads again, uh, the heads the kingdoms and the leaders of these kingdoms singling upon one the beast himself. I saw one of his heads. Do you see what it says? Look down in verse 3 as if It had been slain. That's interesting. Seeing this figure as if it had been slain, does that jog your memory? Hasn't John before seen a figure who was portrayed as if having been slain? Back in Revelation chapter 5, John looks and he sees a lamb as if it had been slain. But looking at this beast... And looking at this figure as if it had been slain, and then his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed, and they followed after the beast. What's going on here? A very cheap imitation. That in some way, in some fashion, patterned after the lamb who was slain and rose, that this figure, this beast, the counterfeit Christ, he too in some way will be slain and then seemingly healed a miraculous display that all the world will see and all will flock to and begin to give worship to this figure. Makes us wonder, I mean, will he really die and come back to life? Your guess is as good as mine. It's possible. Although it doesn't seem Satan has that creative power perhaps in a feigned, fake way, just like the rest of the counterfeit, he fakes his death, but then comes back to life and all think, here is the Christ. As one commentator, James Hamilton, put it, this is Satan's knockoff of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. You know what a knockoff is? Again, a fake, cheap substitute. Not the real thing. This is Satan's attempt at that. But him active, him deceiving, the whole world follows after this so that in verse 4, they begin to worship this beast. But ultimately, as their worship is directed to the beast, it's directed to the dragon himself. Because he gave his authority to the beast. And we ask, what is this worship like? How thorough is it? As they look upon him, the end of verse 4 tells us, they begin to ask these worshipful questions. Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? Again. Sounding familiar, because it's just like earlier in the Old Testament. Exodus 15, Moses in Israel, the song at the sea. After God delivers the nation, they stand there with the dead bodies of the Egyptians washing up on shore, praising God. And Moses even asking, who is like you, O Yahweh? A question, the answer obvious, should be reserved for the one true God, yet all the world duped and deceived, offering it to this cheap substitute. And all he can do is twist and pervert. We're introduced to him, the counterfeit Christ, But then verse 5 will begin to tell us uh, what he begins to do, his work and his mission. He further speaks arrogant words and blasphemies and authority. Again, you and I watch and see things on TV and we hear what people say against the true God and we're grieved to see that. And that pales compared to this blasphemy. Although, notice for 42 months. You do the math, three and a half years. Half of seven, what is that? You've heard it before. Seven year period of tribulation. Then in the middle, when this figure's put on display. How then, for the final three and a half years, the great tribulation, that he will carry out his ruthless campaign against God and against God's people. Blasphemies committed. Though we're introduced in verse five, two, two times you'll look in your Bible and you'll see that it. Was given. Interesting. More on that later. Verse 6 He opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name, to blaspheme his tabernacle, those who dwell in heaven. Oh, can you believe it? Just like what it says in Daniel 7, he will speak out against the Most High. Just like what it says in Daniel 11, he will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the God of gods. Just like Satan himself, Isaiah 14, I will make myself like the Most High. He then turns his attention, verse 7, and it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. That's what he attempts to do, though he'll never be successful. Authority is given over every tribe, people, tongue, nation. Again, we've heard that before in Revelation. Revelation. I mean, you line it up so twisted, so perverted, trying to come forward as if this is the Christ, dressed up in a cheap lion skin. And yet, how tragic, how many are going to be on the earth at this time totally deceived? All the earth dwellers. Again, technical term in Revelation, always referring to those that are unbelievers, all who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers. Of course, they worship him, they go after Satan's crucified Savior. But the elect, they don't bow. There is reserved those that won't give worship. It is all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's comfort here, but we remember Jesus himself will say that at this time, this figure, he would deceive, if possible, even the elect. And how persuasive how powerful this deceit is. After all, Satan himself, in some way, he's able to convince one-third of God's holy angels to follow him. And in some way, to approach man in paradise and deceive him to turn away from the one true God. That's how powerful this deception is, satanic in origin. And yet those whom God has set aside, those whom God has graciously, lovingly set his love upon. Again, sometimes we think of the doctrine of election. We think, oh, that makes me mad. I get angry. I don't understand it. Yet it's meant to be something that brings us comfort. It's meant to be something that brings us low, not an instrument of pride, but something to humble us. Something here that brings great comfort. In light of that then, concluding the focus on the counterfeit Christ, John will issue this familiar call, verse 9, If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone's destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. He calls for all readers to listen up, to give ear to these words. Though... Again, I keep pointing things out earlier in Revelation. We, we've heard this call before. Seven times in the seven letters to the churches. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Though in those accounts, it's interesting, John continues what the Spirit says to the churches. But here there's no reference to the churches. I submit another thread of evidence that at this time on the earth, as the tribulation's taking place, the church isn't present because they've been caught up to be with the Lord in heaven. Strong words, though, for those who hear this For those in that time to come to serve the true God, them recognizing they could face captivity, and to captivity they are to go. They could face persecution and death by the sword, and they are to follow and submit to that. Recognizing this all comes under God's sovereign plan, in no way does he abandon or forsake his people. Indeed, nothing can separate from his love. But submitting to that, receiving that, can the call and the caution not in any way to compromise not in any way to be deceived and to bow to this cheap counterfeit. Again, easy for us to say tonight, but when persecution's pressed upon you, perhaps a real temptation arises. Again, I once heard a pastor say, suffering is unavoidable persecutions optional you could bow you could offer worship and get out of the painful consequences but oh why why would you deny him why would you at this point turn and forsake Christ when he certainly has never turned or forsaken you Strong words. The hope and the prayer, even as we read it, that for us in our day, whatever the Lord might bring across for us, that we too would be immovable in our allegiance to the true Christ. That's the counterfeit Christ. Then we're introduced now to another beast. We'll call it this, the counterfeit spirit. The counterfeit spirit, this other beast, John sees, coming up out of the earth. Again, what does that signify? Maybe some difference, some play. The sea, uh, the source and place of evil and chaos. Maybe the earth, more tranquil, uh, more hospitable. This figure coming up out of that, maybe less, less threatening. Less foreboding. In fact, he's only got two horns, not ten like the other beast. Oh yeah, that that gives a little more comfort. This beast comes up out of the earth. Other passages in the Bible call this figure the false prophet. In fact, we'll see that later in Revelation 19. Satan will raise up this false prophet whose main mission is like a a great propagandist to promote the counterfeit Christ. That's why we call him the counterfeit spirit. Just like the true Holy Spirit, his whole mission is to direct attention that all would worship the real Christ, Well, this counterfeit spirit, this false prophet, the beast that comes up out of the earth, his whole mission, his whole focus is to direct all to bow to the counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist. Again, drawing an analogy from history, you think of the terror of a figure like Hitler, and yet right beside him, small in stature, big smile on his face, often seen with his wife and family. The chief propagandist in the Third Reich, Joseph Goebbels. And yet himself, the same evil, looks so deceiving. In fact, we know that because John sees this figure. He's got two horns like a lamb. We think docile, less threatening. And yet he speaks like what? Like a dragon. Satan's mouthpiece. He too exercising authority of the first beast in his presence. In delegated power. He goes about his machinations and his workings. All to bring about worship of the counterfeit Christ. Again, the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. In some way, this figure, the false prophet, the counterfeit spirit, he's able to perform great signs such that it says, verse 13, fire comes down out of heaven. Does God grant this power? Perhaps in some ultimate sense. Perhaps like the magicians that there in Pharaoh's court seemed to reproduce so many of the miracles that Moses and Aaron were able to put forth. In some way, though, putting on signs and miracles that, of course, draw in people, them thinking, here is confirmation that they are truly divine. And they ought to be worshipped. And we ought to be aware of looking for these signs and miracles. Like the warning given old in Deuteronomy 13, God will bring about false prophets that perhaps will bring about their own signs and miracles all for the purpose, it says, to test whether there's real love for God. And of course, that's going on here. Real devotion to the Lord is being seen by those who abstain from this worship. But how powerful the deception. He deceives all those who dwell on the earth. Again, the earth dwellers. The deception culminates with permission from the first beast to craft an image of this beast the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Again, what is going on here? In some way in the future, this false prophet, the counterfeit spirit, with approval from the counterfeit Christ, creates some image, again, crafting an idol, that all will look to That again, in some way, verse 15, given to him to give breath to the image, that the image of the beast would speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And in some way all looking upon this image and the false prophet with some animating power making this image as if it comes to life. An image representing the counterfeit Christ who was hurt and then healed. And all seeing this, all drawn in by this, all amazed by what they behold. Again, we think all those on the earth, you know as I know, not that far reaching for us to grasp this. I read earlier today that the funeral that took place on Monday for Queen Elizabeth, all that tuned in to watch that event live. They estimate approximately 60% of earth's population all at once seen this. What else is going on? Again, the false prophet, the counterfeit spirit, really with the attention, though, on the counterfeit Christ. As he sits, as he rules, as he draws worship to himself, he then will so tyrannically rule. Oh, here's what it will be like. He causes all, verse 16 tells us, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the freemen and slaves... If you're going to exist under his authority, you got to receive his mark. Take it on the forehead, get it on the wrist. All so that you can buy and sell. And if you don't get it, sorry, you're not recognized in this nation. You don't get access to basic things like food and provision Again, reading this makes me think back when I was in the fourth grade. A girl in my class one day came and, speaking to a group of us, said, There are people right now in France getting the mark of the beast. She was well meaning. And of course, a lot could be said about the French. But was that going on? No. Is that going on today? No, I don't think so. Again, looking to the far future, but maybe more sooner than we realize. In some way, you will be forced to receive this mark ultimately representing you are loyal to this counterfeit Christ. Again, an anecdote makes me think it wasn't that long ago one of our missionaries, can't say names, talked about the place that he was ministering or a uh, from that nation, what was finally enacted was something called the social credit system. According to that government, if you're a good citizen, like a credit score, your social credit goes up. But if any way you violate the law, even simple things, you park in the wrong place and get a parking ticket, Because of all the technology in this country, all the cameras, immediately taking your picture, he said, immediately displaying out in public on a screen your image as if to shame you. Looking then down on your device and seeing from your account already deducted is the fine. And that social credit score dropping. And you think a tyrannical power, hostile towards anything that will oppose them, all the things they could put in place to press down and for someone to feel pressure. Pressure to resist, pressure to give in. Again, a very real thing taking place right now. Yeah, what is that to this enacted by the counterfeit Christ? As John MacArthur says, pressure to give in to the worship of Antichrist will be far worse than anything ever experienced in human history. Then wrapping this all up, John writes, here's wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast For the number is that of a man. His number is 666. Does that mean then you and I are to launch out and calculating some mysterious hidden code for what this means? Revealing some secret name embedded here? I don't think so. Rather, just portraying that this figure, taking the number six, six representing man often in the Bible, seven representing God, God and his perfection, man six, again, man being made on the sixth day, always short of God and his perfection, yet here, the epitome of man, this most sinful man, uh, the Antichrist, Raised up by the dragon himself, he is labeled 666 three times, perhaps patterned after God's designation, repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy. Perhaps here 666, evil, evil, evil. The counterfeit Christ, the counterfeit Spirit. You then come to the end of this account tonight and you ask, So what? This is years from now. It's 2022. What help do I have heading out here tonight? You remember what John says in his first epistle? In fact, I invite you to turn over to 1 John chapter 4. Keep in your finger in Revelation 13. Friend, this deception, though not on that grand scale is still active now in the present. 1 John 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Of which you've heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. Not that far off for us, friend. The figure may not be on this earth, but the spirit is active. Animating many false prophets. Animating many who would come forward and say, they speak in the name of Christ. And what are we to do? Like those in Narnia flock to the supposed lion, excited that he's here? No, rather placed on each one of us is this call. You and I must test the spirits. The moment you and I think, oh, check the box. I get out of this. Oh, friend, you are closer to being deceived than you realize. For each one of us, we have to heed this call. We need to recognize that even now, this spirit of the Antichrist is at work. Many false prophets, many who speak in the name of the Lord, many representing, saying, I teach the Bible. You and I are bombarded by it every time you open up your screen and device. But how are we to know? How are we to understand if this is truly the real Christ or just a counterfeit? Well, you could say this listen to their message. What do they say about Scripture? What do they say about salvation? What do they say about the Savior? In fact, how telling that often is. Is Jesus Christ the center and sum and substance, everything to that man, that minister, in that ministry? Or is it just relegated as a cheap footnote for some other message, some other practical message that that preacher is wanting to communicate. What's the effect of that message on the followers? Look at the followers. Is a fear of God being cultivated? Is a hatred of sin manifest? Is there a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for his word? Or is it manifest? No, there's a competing allegiance, a love for this present world. In fact, friend, let me encourage you tonight. Really, it's simple. How how do you avoid a counterfeit? You study the real thing. If anything tonight, let this be a call for us to have our nose in the text of Scripture to be faithful students that in no way we would be duped and in fact that God could use us to be instruments to rescue people from being duped themselves. That's one thing we need to take away tonight but not only that, going back to Revelation 13, I teased it earlier, All throughout this account, as horrible as it is, as this figure is put forth, six times we hear that it was given. That it was given. In fact, look with me. Verse 5 of chapter 13. There was given to him. Who gave him that? Uh, The end of verse 5, he's got authority to act for 42 months that was given to him. Verse 7, it was given to him. And all the authority with every tribe, people, tongue, nation, at the end of verse 7, it was given to him. Dropping down to verse 14, he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform. And at verse 15, it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. Each one of these is begging the question, who is granting this authority? Friend, how far does your doctrine of God's sovereignty go? In a way that you and I with our finite minds can't connect the dots all together. And certainly in a way that this holy God in no way can be blamed and accused for being the one who is the author of sin. And yet always in an ultimate sense. From his throne decreeing all that comes to pass. That even this dragon, Satan, you remember, he is whose ape? God's ape. That all this in the future comes about under the sovereign rule of God. And if anything, the moment those Months begin. The moment the three and a half years starts and authority is permitted to the beast to exercise and you could say the dragon is given a little bit more of a leash. It's as if God starts the clock and at the end of that three and a half years, time's up. And then who makes his grand return? Revelation 19 will tell us. The real Christ, the real king. If anything, friend, let us walk away tonight more convinced and confident and settled and comforted by our great God's sovereign Rule. That's why it's right for us to sing hallelujah, praise, Jehovah. Oh, my soul, Jehovah, praise. Father, thank you for our study tonight. There will be these counterfeits of the dragon. Indeed, even now, there are counterfeits of the dragon. Many who would come forward to speak in the name of Christ. And yet Christ has spoken. You have given us your word. Sufficient, authoritative, all that we need for life and for godliness. May tonight, Lord, we be stirred up to study the real scripture more thoroughly that will be enabled to more quickly spot any counterfeit that crosses our path. May we also rest in your sovereign rule and be compelled to reach those who are lost, that they would turn from these fake substitutes to a real Savior, a living Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this for his sake, for his glory, amen.